If you're here for the first time, my name is Mark. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I look forward to having a chance to meet you. And uh, whether you're here in person or uh, at home watching online or somewhere else watching online, greetings. And um, here's what's ahead for us. Next Sunday, we have a guest speaker named Jeremy McLean. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. Some of you have met him previously. I haven't had the opportunity to do that or hear him speak, and we look forward to uh, meeting him and hearing from him next Sunday. And then in two weeks, we begin a new series that will take us through the fall and into 2022 as well, from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those three letters that John wrote. So we'll have more to say about that in the days ahead. But this morning, we are finishing our old Made New series. We began this back in January, and some of you... Maybe you're here for the very first time, so you're getting in on the last message, and some of you jumped in maybe around chapter 8 or so, and some may have been here for the the whole series. But this morning, we are closing up uh, the the letter of 2 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. So please open your Bibles, turn on your devices, get your eyes on the text, or you can look at the screen as well. Hear God's word to us. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. God, as we pause here and direct our attention to you, we're about to ask for your help for us, but but first I just want to ask for your help for the city of New Orleans and all the people that are in the path of the hurricane that is there right now. Father, we have many brothers and sisters in that area and all the people in that area, people made in your image. And we want to pray for mercy and help as that hurricane bears down on them. Give wisdom and grace to those who are doing emergency services and responding Protect the lives of the people in that area, we pray. And give your help to those who will come in afterwards, and especially to your people, to come in and seek to, who will seek to do good. Bless them in their efforts, we pray. And now, as we assemble here before you and your word, as we hear these closing verses of 2 Corinthians, we pray that these words would become to us a blessing for the road ahead that they would make a difference on Monday and in November and in 2022 as well. We pray that you would do a work by the Spirit in our hearts to enable us to be apprehended by these words from you and to carry them forth to glorify you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. I recently watched a movie 
about a poor taxi driver in an African country. And he ends up on this long road trip with a corrupt government official who's on the run because of a coup in his country. The taxi driver is driving this old, battered Peugeot. When you see the car, you sort of can't even believe that it can still move, let alone take this long road trip. And to kind of bring home the the tenuousness of the whole thing. There's one scene where the filmmakers, they got this camera out in front of the car aimed over one of the front tires. And as the car is, is rolling down this road, this, this camera is looking right at the front wheel. And you can see this wheel slamming into these potholes and it's wobbling horribly. And at one point I just thought, they're, gonna, they're showing us this because like this wheel is about to fall off. That's kind of what their road trip was like. And sometimes the road of life can be kind of like that too, can't it? Maybe there are a few here this morning who you feel like the road of life for you is you're rolling down the highway in a Ferrari. But I think for a lot of us, we're feeling the potholes, maybe even fixing flat tires. And what I want to say this morning through this illustration is this. If you need help on the road of life, these verses are a place to go. This letter is a go-to place. Whether you're at home, here in person, whether you've been here for the whole series, or this is your first Sunday here, this passage is a blessing that you can take with you, and it will be a blessing to you for the road. The author, the Apostle Paul, he's got this difficult, complicated relationship with this church. This church has caused him more trouble than all the other churches he planted combined. This church caused him suffering and agony and pain. And that all resulted in him writing down this letter. And we can thank God that that had to happen because this letter is of priceless value to believers like us. He ends his letter, he sort of, these last few verses, he's he's sort of saying, listen, church, if if you'll really take to heart all that I've said, he's sort of of putting a lasso around these 13 chapters. If you'll take to heart all that I've said, here's how to do it in summary. Receive the blessing of the exhortation I'm going to leave you with. And receive the blessing of a benediction. Two blessings he's leaving this church with for their journey with the Lord. So let's talk about the blessing of the exhortation that's found in verse 11. Now, this word exhortation, I know, isn't a word that we use a lot. Could have used the word encouragement. But the word encouragement isn't, it isn't quite as strong. The word exhortation has, has this sense of kind of this urging, this, this pulling. There's an exhorting. There's a, there's a literally encouraging. There's a giving of, of courage. There's a call in it. And so this is really an exhortation. And the exhortation comes in these five commands. In, in very short order, he gives five commands plus a promise. What he's doing in, 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 in verse 11 It's kind of like what a coach does with a team that's all prepared. And now they're having that final sort of little pep talk before they go out on the field. 
The coach doesn't go through the whole strategy of everything they talk about, who, who's going to guard who and what plays they're going to use when and all that. They've done all that. He's just giving them a few quick reminders at the end. That's what this does. These five reminders are, are this. Look back at verse 11. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Five commands and one promise. And the God of love and peace will be with you. This is a call to action. If you want to be blessed on the road, well then travel following God's instructions. And his first instruction is this. You ready? Rejoice. That's God's word to this church. That's God's word to you. Rejoice. Really? Like if you've been here for any of this series, if you've ever read 2 Corinthians, this is a church that has failed massively. They've failed morally. They've failed relationally. I don't know about you, but I would have written repent, right? <laughs> that would have been my word to this church. Come on, quit messing around and get, get your act together. But I love that the first word is rejoice. Why? Why would he do this? Why would he say this? I want to suggest it's because churches like the church in Corinth, churches like this church assembled here this morning, churches only come into existence through the gospel. The gospel is God's good news and it gathers people together as his new family. And this letter, if you go through and reread this letter and just highlight all the gospel statements and proclamations in here. It's filled with the gospel. This letter is as saturated with the gospel as the air around here is saturated with humidity. That's a lot of gospel. The gospel produces something in the heart. Do you know what it is? Joy. He, I believe he's saying rejoice because he has laid the gospel out for them over and over and over. And all they need to do is receive that and respond by rejoicing. And you know what? I would love for you to have that experience this morning here. So of course, there's work to do. Of course, there's aim for restoration. Of course, there's some repairs that are needed, some reconstruction that's needed. But you know, before we get there, we got to start with this. The gospel of Jesus Christ that produces joy in the heart of every believer. So here's what I want to do. Put your pens down. Put your phones down. I'm going to just read to you. This isn't even going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. I'm going to just read to you some gospel statements from this wonderful letter in the hopes that as this washes over your heart and mind and soul this morning, it'll enable you to rejoice. Hear God's word. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake 
died and was raised. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. So, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Rejoice. Rejoice. That's where it starts. Second, aim. Aim for restoration. It's a hard one to translate. The New Living Testament translates this grow to maturity. The NIV says, be made complete. The idea here is they're on their road to heaven, but there's work needed along the way. What needed to be restored in that church? Where were they in need of restoration? Well, if you read through the letter, you'll find first, it seems they've lost their zeal for mission. They'd committed themselves to participating in the mission of sending an offering to care for poor saints in in Jerusalem, but they were reluctant. Paul wasn't sure they were going to keep that promise. They've, They've also completely lost their minds about what godly leadership looks like and how it works. There's restoration needed. They've not only fallen for phony leaders who are using them, they've dismissed and even attacked Paul, who has humbly and sacrificially served them. That's the bad news. You know the good news? Change is possible because they are new creations. God is at work in them. Christ is being formed in them. They can repent. They can cleanse themselves from their wayward ways. They can be restored to being a humble and holy community. And church, that didn't end with them. We can be too. We can aim for restoration. We have the power by the spirit working in us to repent and turn and change and welcome God's word and walk in God's ways. Why? Because you too in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You are being transformed. Aim for restoration. And then he says, third, comfort one another. I don't know if if it's fair to have favorites in God's word, but on this list, this is my favorite. You know, the reality is, and even as Justin prayed earlier, the road is hard, isn't it? And the world can be a hard place. Potholes, breakdowns, wars, and 
viruses, hospitals, refugees. Where does one go for comfort and hope? How many turn to alcohol, TV, work, busyness, buy something else? But you know, there's real comfort available. It comes from God. It comes to his people and then incredibly through his people to others. Hear these words, which you've already heard once this morning, but I want you to hear them again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how, by the power of the Spirit, God is revealing himself to us in his word. The Father of mercies and the God of comfort. Is that the God you know? Do you know him that way? The Father of mercies and the God of comfort. That's where the letter begins. And now we're seeing where the letter ends. Comfort. This word for comfort is connected in the Greek to the word that Jesus uses for the comforter in John 14 to 16. The parakletos, the Holy Spirit who comforts and counsels and comes alongside. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all, hear that, all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Churches like this are wonderful places. Churches where people receive the comfort of the God of mercies, the God of all comfort, experience that comfort, and then turn and say, who needs this comfort? Who can I reach out to and love? Who can I care for? Comfort one another. Fourth, he says, agree with one another. This is more than just please get along. Or fake it. No, what he's saying is work through what God is teaching you. Be of one mind about being a Christ-centered, holy people. Unite around the right things. And then finally he says, live in peace. If you've been here for these last messages, you know that this church had welcomed in these leaders who were boasters. They were arrogant. They were putting Paul down in order to inflate themselves. Churches that are filled with boasting and arrogance and competitiveness, that's not a peaceful place. That's not a place of peace. But repent of these things and follow Christ who was crucified in weakness. Learn to boast of your weakness And you'll become a peace-filled congregation. I'm so grateful for the peace that exists in this congregation. May we continue to and increasingly live in peace. There's the pep talk. There's the five commands. Here's the promise. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, you could understand this promise in two ways. First would be this. 
if you live this way, the result is you'll experience the nearness of the God of love and peace. The other way this could be understood is the God of love and peace will be there to empower you to live this way. Now, which is right? I think as so often in these things, I think they're both right. If churches that live this way will be churches that experience the nearness and presence of God in unique ways. And yet, I think it's the second that we need most, isn't it? God will be with you to live this way. In other words, you can't do the Christian life without God, right? Sounds obvious. That's a well-duh statement. And yet, how often do we do exactly that? And so we need to be reminded, hey, if you're going to rejoice, if you're going to aim for restoration, if you're going to comfort one another and be of the same mind and live in peace, we well, can't do that on your own. But the God of love and peace, he will be with you to empower you to live that way. It's his plan for you and it's his power that's going to make that possible. He he had written just a few verses earlier back there in verse 5. He said, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Well, when Christ is in you, when the Spirit is working through you, when the God of peace and love is with you, do you know what? You can change. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter how lost you are. It doesn't matter how wayward you are. It doesn't matter how trapped in sin you feel. God is with you and change is possible. And if you don't know this God, the message is a little different. True, lasting, internal change isn't possible for you. But if you will give yourself to God... Lay hold of Jesus Christ who died on a cross like that for sinners like you. He will welcome you into his family and begin to change and transform you to be more and more like Christ. And you will find joy and restoration and peace and welcome in the people of God. Oh, come to Christ for these things. The God of love is here today to be with you to be with us on the journey. He's reminding us of that and exhorting us in that. In verse 11, he's also leaving us with this wonderful benediction in verse 14. You know, at the close of every service, we do this benediction. We do this blessing for the road. And I'm really grateful for Sojourn Church, I hadn't heard this phrase, blessing for the road, before we started hanging around together, and we've adopted that language, and I really like it. I think that's a great way to describe a benediction. It's a blessing for the road. But why do we do this? Why do we have this as the last thing that we do in our service? Why not just say, the end, or you're dismissed, or class is over, or whatever? Why, why do we end with this benediction? Well, the word benediction, you know what it means? It means spoken blessing. It's a good word spoken. And we very intentionally make that the last thing we do in the service before you are sent out because we want to send you out with God's blessing in your ears and on your hearts. 
A benediction isn't exactly a prayer. Think about that. Who are we talking to when we pray? We're talking to God, right? But in a benediction, we're not exactly talking to God. We're actually talking to each other, right? The person that's doing the benediction is talking to you. Eyes are open. We're looking at each other, right? And and so what we're doing is we're, we're sort of speaking on God's behalf what he's promised to you. And you know, the Bible is full of benedictions. It's full of blessings. In fact, the Bible begins and ends with a blessing. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates human beings, Adam and Eve, and then it says he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. There's a a blessing spoken by God in the first chapter of the Bible. The very last verse of the Bible says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. Amen. That's how the Bible ends. In between, there are wonderful benedictions. Number six, the the benediction that I often uh, choose when I get to do the benediction at the end of the service is, is this one. It's from number six. Number six is where God is telling Moses what to tell Aaron, who's the priest, to tell the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you and make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The blessing, the benediction from Numbers 6. Do you know that Jesus spoke a benediction over his disciples? Luke 24, it says, after his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus gathered his disciples, and this is what it says, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. It's a benediction. So we learn to do this from God. There are many benedictions in the New Testament, and they occur especially at the end of the letters, but sometimes in the midst of the letters as, as well. And here we have in 2 Corinthians 13, perhaps the best known and most beloved of the benedictions. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In fact, how about if we say that together? Because this isn't just something that a clergy person or a priest gets to say. This is actually a blessing that any Christian can say to and for any Christian. So let's say this together. Say it with me, would you? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's think about those three pieces, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been in church for a while, you may be familiar with the language of grace. Hopefully you are very familiar with it. Sometimes when we get familiar with a phrase or a word like that, it can sort of lose its meaning. What is grace? We can sometimes talk about grace like it's a thing, like a commodity. Hey, when you go to Target, would you pick me up another six-pack of grace? I'm running low. Like, what is it? What, what is grace? Well, sort of theologically, grace is God's favor. It's his disposition to bless, especially people who don't deserve it. It's also God's power to change hearts. Grace, huh, is there a sweeter word in the English vocabulary? Is there a sweeter word than this word Grace. I love that it's in the name of our church. Redeeming grace, church. Grace is where 
the Christian life begins. It's God's undeserved and merciful disposition, but more than that, his work in Christ to bring us home to God. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Jesus Christ is what God's grace looks like when it becomes a person. A person full of grace and truth. In Jesus Christ, God took the form of a human being and grace was made incarnate. We get to see what grace looks like and how grace is expressed in a person. Grace isn't a package sitting on a shelf in Target. Grace is a man saying, come to me, come to me. Won't you come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. Come to me, I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, gentle, and lowly. Oh, come to me. That's what grace looks like. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, in the love of God. I love the strong Trinitarian element to this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as Christians. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God in three persons, each fully God, blessed Trinity, as we sang earlier this morning. And here we come to the love of God implied here, God the Father. Paul has come to know the deepest heart of God. And I love what he leaves us with here. Did you see where he began this letter? We just read it. God of comfort, the Father of mercies. I, I, I want to know God the way Paul knows God grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. He's saying it a second time. He just said the God of love and peace will be with you. Can you see what it is about God? God who is holy, God who is righteous, God who is just, God who is mighty, but God who is merciful, merciful and mighty. God of love be with you. I want to I ask you to just slow down for a moment. Is that how you think of God? Is he to you the God of love? I understand in the world that we live in why that can be difficult to grasp. We look around, we go through life, and it's hard. We look at Airport in Kabul, and we see chaos and panic and murder. It's hurricane. 16 years to the day after Katrina came through New Orleans, and now here's another one. The relentless upheaval and destruction of the coronavirus. And I understand how people can say, how can there be a God of love in a world like that? And this is why the Bible is such a wonderful book. Because the storyline of the Bible is this God made the world. People rebelled against him and turned it into a terribly broken place. And then you know what happened? God came to be with us. 
he said, I'm not going to just solve this problem from up here. I'm going to come and be with you. And love came down. And Christ was born of a virgin. God entering into the world to suffer and die because the Father's love was overflowing to rebels like us. And he sent his Son who willingly, for the joy set before him, came out of love to give himself so that we could enter into a fellowship with God and with one another. God of love, that God be with you. That God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There's two parts to this. Part one is this. When God's love works in you and you respond to the gospel call, you are brought into a new family. This little passage begins, finally, brothers and sisters. Why? Because we're a new family with God as our father. We have brothers and sisters. We're held together as a congregation, not by common interests, not by color of skin or ethnicity, we are held together as a fellowship, a participation, a a partnership that is created and sustained by the Holy Spirit. This is a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul's relationship with this church was rocky at best, but the fellowship of the Holy Spirit was holding them together. That's part one, fellowship of the Holy Spirit with one another. But that fellowship of the Holy Spirit is also a vertical fellowship. When we are brought into new life in Christ and made new creations, we enter into a relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son that is being carried out by the Holy Spirit. So we have this fellowship with God. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so this This benediction, grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love, the love of God and fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this is a blessing for the road. It's a confident declaration of what's waiting for you tomorrow. Grace, love, fellowship. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to be a pastor closing a service to speak these words to other Christians. Bless one another with these words. Put them at the end of an email. Parents, speak them over your children. End your community group meetings with these with wonderful words like these. Send one another out. Let's do that continually with these blessings. This letter, as we come to the conclusion of 2 Corinthians, it's a difficult letter. It's a bit of an odd companion. Kind of like maybe you have sort of an eccentric friend. Once you get to know that friend, you realize he or she's just got these amazing qualities with a few kind of rough spots here and there too. So it's a letter that takes a little work to to get used to, but I want to encourage you to come to this letter over and over. I want to urge you to master this letter. This letter has themes and chapters and verses that will feed you and are worth coming back to over and over and over. I'll do a midweek musing later this week about how we can benefit from this letter in days to come. That'll go out in the email that goes out on Thursdays.